We're in Luke chapter 6. I'll ask you a couple questions <laughs> to think about till we get to the end of it. Uh, but let me read the first 11 verses of Luke 6 first. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to him, to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered a synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Well, if you haven't figured it out, our topic today is the Lord of the Sabbath. What I want you, why wouldn't we skip over this passage in our study in Luke? Why would we linger here to consider this teaching about Jesus and the Sabbath? We all know it, right? We've heard this title, Lord of the Sabbath. So why would we spend time here? Well, think about that before the end of the hour, okay? There'll be a quiz, so... We have two particular incidents here that highlight the, it's already started, but the continuing confrontation between, between Christ and the Pharisees. These two particular incidents have to do with the Sabbath. Now that is important in our religion. It is especially overly important, if you will, in the religion of the Pharisees. And Jesus is going to rectify the wrongful perception, well, he's going to lay that out there, whether it sinks in or not, is questionable. He's going to rectify their wrongful teaching on the Sabbath that is becoming an issue, and it's going to be a strident one here. They had greater restrictions on the Sabbath than right here in Jesus Christ, the actual lawgiver had for the Sabbath. Can you imagine? That's what he was looking at. It's interesting that many of the confrontations that our Lord had with the Pharisees seemed to focus around the time of the Sabbath itself, around the synagogue, where he was doing much of his teaching. And we see, we saw some of the events leading up to this in chapter five, where he, he are called Levi, and then they had to question about fasting. And now we move into here about the right things and the wrong things to do on the Sabbath day. These Jewish leaders, these Pharisees in Israel who studied the law a great deal are listening to Jesus in order 
to catch him in something. I imagine in their minds, he, Jesus, is a very dangerous man. What's the danger? The danger is to the status quo. We're Pharisees. We're the ones in charge around here. Doesn't he understand that? Let's listen to him. Well, the first one that takes place here after chapter 5 in, uh, as we get into this and see the escalation of this incident of, between Christ and the Pharisees takes place in the grain fields. What's the problem? What does the scripture tell us here? What's the big deal? They were? That's exactly right. And all of a sudden you can hear ding, 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 alarm bells went off. The Pharisees are over here. Aha. We got him. They're working on the Sabbath. How could they say that? I'm sure many of you have read the Talmud, right? <laughs> How could they say this? What's going on here? Well, it's about April time. It's shortly after the Passover. The crops are getting ready to be harvested. They're pretty full. And uh, in this another Sabbath, uh, all of a sudden something's wrong. The word Sabbath is a Hebrew word, which means to cease, desist, to rest. So that's the perspective we're looking at. This is the day of this in the Hebrew. Don't you understand, Jesus? This was a creation ordinance, if you will. Back in the early days, in the first couple chapters of, of Genesis, after our Lord had finished his work in the six days, he established a Sabbath on the seventh day a time of rest, a time of refreshment, a time of spiritual nourishment. And if you will, it's a relational day. We're here. And we're having a relation with one another, yes, but a relation with our God in particular on this day that we can't do other days of the week. And on this seventh day, Christ, God had finished. He was resting and he blessed that day and made it holy because of all he had done on his creation, looked at it. It was codified in Exodus 20 in verses 8 through 11. I'll read this. I'm sure you, some of you might even quote it to me. But it's uh, the longest in terms of words here of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, can you imagine it is if the Pharisees were saying, uh, you don't know this, do you? What Exodus says. You don't understand. This is where it started. And we're going to see here our Lord's response to this. In verse one, they're going through here. His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Why would this be work? Pardon? They were, they were. In the Talmud, which I'm, I, again, I say you probably know, it's a body of Jewish civil and religious laws and related commentaries 
that are not included in the Pentateuch. It is not in the uh, five books of the Bible that start off. And they had, that is the Pharisees, the writers of these laws, 39 kinds of work that were forbidden on the Sabbath day. You want to know some of them? Traveling more than 3,000 feet was not allowed. So if you were headed to Burger King, it better be just 2,999 feet or you couldn't go there. Pardon? You'd be stuck there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You couldn't retreat. So you only want to go 1,500 feet before you come back. That's a good point. You couldn't transport things. There was no sewing allowed. And that's S-O-W. Do any of you S-E-W anymore? <laughs> it's hard to find women who sew these days. Uh, but there was no sowing allowed, no plowing, no reaping, no threshing, no winnowing, no harvesting, no food preparation in particular to cook. Most of the Jewish women would have prepared their Sabbath meal the night before so they wouldn't have to fire up the oven or anything. So look, there's at least four of these things that the Pharisees are saying violated with what the disciples were doing, the rules, I'll put it that way, for the Sabbath. They were reaping, they were threshing, they were winnowing, rubbing this grain between their hands, separating the husk from it. They were harvesting after they got done. Okay, got a final product, and now we're going to eat it. This is, uh, it's interesting to see because, you know, the Pharisees, violated some of these from time to time too. Interesting, on the uh, Sabbath day would have been their biggest meal of the, of the week. Uh, if you study, what did they get? They got all the food from the temple, the sacrifices, and, and we'll touch on that. What was going on here is deadly formalism. Deadly formalism, a terrible thing. Let me read to you verses you know. This again comes from... Uh, talking about our Lord and, and touching on this in, in Matthew in chapter 11. He said to this, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't think the Pharisees knew those words from Jesus. They were not making the Israelites' burden easy, their yoke easy, their burden light. Not any way, any means. It is, I say as if, but I think it's evident, the Pharisees are looking for a fight. You might run into somebody like this, especially out on the street if you witness to somebody. It's one of the great difficulties with witnessing to relatives. They've already got a standing before you. I'm your cousin, aunt, uncle, so on. Uh, you ought to respect that. So what you're saying, I'm going to tell you right now, is a bunch of poppycock, don't want anything to do with it. There's going to be a confrontation. Well, there was definitely one here. What is the accusation? Your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They're working. What was their own habit on the Sabbath? It was to eat and to have a big meal. And truly, they didn't go out and husk uh, grain here. But it's, it's interesting. Look how they pose this accusation. What do they say? What do they say? Why are you 
Right. The, it's, they do this a lot. They couch their accusations in a question. And they do this again here. Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? They don't come up and say, look, here's A, B, C, D that I just went through here. You're violating this. Why do you do this? And our Lord is so wise in hearing this question that is couching their accusation. What does he do? Well, the violation here is that they are guilty of what one commentator calls deadly formalism. People who are hypocrites often do something like this. They place excessive importance on trifles. And basically, that's what's going on here. These Pharisees are placing a lot of importance on something that isn't as important as they want to portray. Did you have a question, Steve, or comment? Oh, just holding, <laughs> holding tight for the ride. All right. Later in the book of Luke in the 16th chapter, and this applies here, you read these familiar words that you know. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. It doesn't end here, this attitude that they have. When he teaches you can't serve uh, man and money, that is only one of the things because the Pharisees are guilty of similar things all throughout their ministry of serving money and, and uh, something other than God. He also said, our Lord in Matthew 23, you blind guides straining out a knot, a gnat and swallowing a camel. Wow. <laughs> He's laying it on the line all the time with these people. Matthew Henry says this, many are guilty of the greatest crime and then they censure others for innocent and unoffensive, uh, inoffensive actions. That's what's taking place here. These hypocritical men are bringing these charges. I want to tell you, some of us can be like this. We really, what are the, what are the restrictions you put on your family? What are the restrictions you put on your children? Especially you, I look around, you may not have any children at home. Some of you do. What do you say to your daughter about dating? Honey, you're not going to date. This system just doesn't work in America. We're going to do this thing called courting. <laughs> and then you're going to sit down and watch uh, Pride and Prejudice and figure out how this is done. You see, we can be kind of hypocritical too sometimes. There are... Uh, one of the commentators I read, he was part of a denomination where the ministers had a little freedom. They could smoke a cigar or have an alcoholic beverage. But then some of those who would uh, take that freedom did not celebrate Easter or Christmas. You see how we can get tangled up in these things and miss the point. You have freedom, but be careful how you define your freedom, what it is you're doing. Our Lord answers gently here in uh, verses three and four. Jesus answered them, how does he do it? <laughs> you got a question? I got one for you. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any, but the priests to eat and also 
gave it to those who were with him? Pretty long question, you know. When I was in school, I would have probably said, could you repeat that, please? What is he saying here? I got a question for you. What is he doing in giving us the example of David? If you got to read that, it's in 1 Samuel 26. Well, let me go back there. <laughs> it's uh, very... <clears throat> they were going to Nob, David and his uh, folks that were with him fighting. It was the place where sacrifices were being made at the time. And Abimelech the priest, and Ahimelech that is, came to meet David trembling and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to the priest, the king has charged me with a matter, please note that, and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment and he goes here and he says with these young men for such and such a place, now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. His people are hungry, his charges. And the priest answered David, I have no common, common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from them as always when I go on an expedition and the, the vessels of the young men are holy, even when in, on an ordinary journey, how much more today will they be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's why what? Yes. But he says he's on a mission here. And he is. He's on a mission. And this is like an argument have you, in logic. You argue from the greater to the lesser sometimes. And at other times you argue from the lesser to the greater. It is almost like this is, although this is not particularly fit logic, it's still there. He looks at the greater example here, our Lord, and talks to a lesser example. Why do I say it's greater? We have here this indictment against his followers, the disciples, and we juxtapose it over against what's going on in the life of David. David was on a mission for the king, and he came into this place to get food. Now, what is, the, what is this bread that was there? It was bread that was offered as a sacrifice in a particular fashion. They had a low table. It was about three and a half feet high, about a foot and a half wide, and maybe uh, uh, three feet long, two and three quarter high. It was very small. And there were 12 loaves, six in two rows. What did that re represent? Yes, but why were there 12? The 12 tribes of Israel. Yes, and it was... A time of uh, to offer this as a sacrifice, and they were to remain there for a week, and then the priests would remove them and eat. I take it they did not have a day-old bread store there at that time. Can you imagine? And then they would replace it. This was a sacrifice. It was part of the worship service. And David went in there, and he assured the priest, Ahimelech, that everything was okay with his men. They were worthy to be here. He comes, as it were, and partakes with the help of the priest of this sacrifice that was offered to the Lord. There is nothing like that 
in walking through these grain fields. Nothing like that. And our Savior is saying to them, they ate the showbread, and you're going to keep my disciples from taking some grains here to, in the field to eat? What do we talk about legalism? I suppose the priest, the Himalek, could have put, dropped a hammer and said, no, David, you can't have this. This is the reason, and you know that. Uh, but that doesn't happen. The priest lets him take it and feed his men. Listen, this, one of the things to see here is that they were on a mission when they were with David to do the bidding of the king. What is going on here? This is the king of kings. And his disciples are on a mission with him. And you're going to keep them from getting some food? Don't you know about the story of David? He was given bread from, from uh, the sacrifice in the, in the synagogue or the tabernacle, as it were. And you're going to keep these men from having a few grains. Where is your head? What is going on? Where is your thinking? Well, they're thinking missed, of course. Uh, Mark wasn't written yet. <laughs> but we have Mark 2.27 where we read, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Uh, our brother, you went to see her this morning? Uh, somebody is working at Ahmed. Somebody is, work somebody is working out here in our streets, patrolling them this day for our safety and to keep things moving. The day was made for man. Uh, the Sabbath was made for man. Compassion and need are more important than ritual and ceremony. And that's true in our lives too. You know, you learn as your children grow up and you run through different circumstances that you didn't read about in any book. Okay, what am I going to do? Well, I had a rule in place that was too harsh, so I'm going to have to change this for the benefit of my children. Because I can't stand on the ritual that perhaps my dad always made me do it that way, so you're going to do it that way. We need to be flexible where we can be flexible. The law of God is not made to be used, or especially the law of men in this situation, is not to be used in such a, a demeaning way here. Compassion and mercy need to be shown. In 1 Samuel, David, who was the Lord's anointed king, whether people wanted to admit it, especially Saul, was on a mission for God. And the priest, at least if he didn't verbalize that, thought about it and let him have the bread. Surely the Lord's anointed here could have some grain for his disciples, couldn't he? It is mercy that God desires. Uh, again, if you went to the book of Matthew, you'd see in the uh, 12th chapter, he said, I desire mercy. I desire mercy. What a wonderful story. The Lord, this son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He said something to that effect back in chapter five. We read in, in uh, verse 24 when he was having difficulties that you may know that the son of the man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. The Lord showed who he was. He was Lord. So you know this. I wonder where the Pharisees were then if they were thinking this through. Who has the right to tell us what really 
the Sabbath means other than Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. Think of his titles, if you will. He is, what does it say here? <laughs> he is Lord of the Sabbath. What are some of his other titles? He is Jesus Christ. Some people think of that as his last name, but it isn't. It's a title. It means Messiah. That comes from the Old Testament. Again, you're like uh, shaking them by the collar, the Pharisees. You're not listening here. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the Lord of the Sabbath. Why wouldn't you let him do this? Why would you raise a fuss? He's also Lord. The Old Testament, that's equivalent to Adonai. It denotes God's supreme authority. That's who's speaking here. Jesus Christ, Lord. Psalm 8 and 9, we read, O Lord, in caps, our Lord, in smaller letters. O Yahweh, our Adonai. Jesus, the Messiah. That's who we're talking about, the Lord. I won't take time to read it. We going to run short, but read Philippians 2, begin verse 5, run through 11. In that passage, the title Lord is above every name. This is the one who has the right to claim the truth about the Sabbath. He also has a title that he uses of himself, Son of Man. It's used 83 times in the New Testament. 76 of those times, Jesus uses it for himself. It's the title he most frequently used for himself, son of man. And that's uh, spoken of here, seen in our passage. What is this? It's a reference to his deity, a dominant reference. In Daniel chapter seven, let me read to you a few verses from there. Uh, it's a great, great chapter, Daniel. And, and again, in, uh, later in chapter eight, one of the great things to read doesn't apply to our lesson this morning is, <laughs> his calling out in repentance over the sins of his people. Uh, read that sometime. But in Daniel chapter seven, verses uh, nine and 10, we read this. Verse nine, as I looked, thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. That's important. His clothing was white as snow, hair was pure wool, throne was fiery flames. We go down a little further to, to verse uh, 10. We finished there uh, describing that. And then we go down to 13 and 14. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, our savior, our God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the one that is talking to the Pharisees here. This son of man, even seen back in Daniel's vision. Okay, you know about 1 Samuel, Pharisees. Do you know about Daniel? Do you know about his teaching about the son of man? Very interesting. One like the son of man, exalted here, ruling in the name of God, the ancient of days. He has divine authority. 
he does. He uses this title and basically what Jesus is doing, particularly in verse five, is what? He is claiming that he has authority. He is claiming that he is God, divinity here, based on part of what he's teaching here. But when we look back at Daniel, we see the same thing. You would think that that would startle the Pharisees, wouldn't you? Well, what it did probably was rev their engines as a reason to get rid of Jesus, to kill him. I don't know what you were like. Uh, there are many people today, they don't want to hear anything about the teachings of Jesus. You can pass through them, through their filter, the teachings of Buddhism, Islam, Mohammedism. Uh, you could talk about Jehovah's with. But when you try to run this through their filter, the teaching of Jesus Christ, they get their hackles up. Why is that? Because he's the son of man with authority. And that bothered the Pharisees because their authority was going to be just eclipsed, done away with. And he says, this day is his one of the things we need to do is another thing he's saying here in dealing with the, the uh, Sabbath is this day of rest. He might have, he should have said, and I won't say that, tell me what Jesus should have said. He might have said to them, you know what it means that I'm Messiah? I'm the one who brings rest. It is my day because of what I've accomplished. And then he could have looked forward and said, go read this in Hebrews, you know, where we read about this final rest. This is what's all involved in this. We just don't even think about the depth of the meaning of these terms, these names for Jesus Christ. He is pointing to the consummation of all things. I am the one you were looking for in the Old Testament. Don't you understand? This is my day. And more than that, he might have said, this is my world. This is me. I'm in charge. He's in the synagogue and possibly it was in uh, Capernaum. And we go beyond this after he talks about his authority here. And we look at, he's in his routine place of teaching and another incident comes up. A man with a withered hand. It was like, uh, it's, I, you might've seen one or two people. It wasn't in a sling or anything. His hand was not fully developed or perhaps had been crushed or something but it was withered and he couldn't use it. And we're reading this particular with six through 11 here in this passage. And we, <laughs> you hear right away when you read this, the Pharisees are looking again for another opportunity to find fault with Jesus. He entered and teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. Verse seven, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They didn't watch him to see if he could really do this. You know, we watch television. There aren't too many of these on anymore. There used to be these healing services on TV and you watch, try to figure out what they're doing. Are they really doing that? Are they really healing? That wasn't their intention. They were watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus touched a person or spoke a word and he was legitimately healed. He was restored to better than he was when he came to Christ. But that wasn't their interest. Their interest was, did he violate what we told you you could and could not do on the Sabbath? He was, they were out to get him. 
And they continue to look for an opportunity in verse seven. They watched him. Here they are, the Sabbath police. It's like they're right around the corner watching. What's he gonna do now? We got our eye on you, Jesus. Oh, look at, look at his sovereignty in verse eight. Look at the power he had. Now, I don't know exactly how this took place. He knew their thoughts. You know, based on the recent experience he had, he perhaps could figure this out logically as a human being. Wouldn't take much. Perhaps the Holy Spirit enlightened him. Perhaps he used his own omniscience. I don't know. But he knew what they were thinking. Just think about that. (laughs) Think about that in relation to our lives before Jesus Christ and our holy God. If we're thinking we're hiding anything from him, we got another thing coming, as my dad would say. If that's what you think, boy, you got another thing coming. (laughs) Pharisees, you can't hide that. I know what you're thinking. They continue to look and the hostility is growing. They're closely watching him. Luke, as the great physician, gives us the details that you don't read in the other gospels. Which hand was withered? His right hand. Luke is careful as a physician to tell details like that. Very interesting. These zealous legalists are out in force. You know, if Christ were anything but our God, he probably would have said, you know, only two more hours, the Sabbath will be over. But that was not, this was God here. Wasn't worried about their claims about the Sabbath. They watched him observing carefully for an opportunity to catch him. They wanted him to heal this man, but not for any altruistic reason, not for any good reason. I don't think they doubted his ability to heal. Back in chapter five and verse 17 and verse 24, we know he had the ability to heal. We've already seen that. And beyond that, he could even forgive sins. They knew that, but they want to call him a Sabbath break. Go ahead, go ahead, heal him. You can hear him. <laughs> Here he is, heal him. Well, what's Christ's reaction to that? What's Christ like? He takes the offensive. What does he say to this man? <laughs> Come here, stand up. Come over here. <laughs> I got something for these people to see. I want you again to see the sovereignty of God here. Look at the At least it doesn't regard necessarily salvation, but look at the effectual call of our Savior. The man doesn't quibble. He doesn't argue. And I suppose if I had a withered hand, I wouldn't either. You know who's speaking. Yeah, I'm going to get up and go. Maybe he has a word of healing for me. But effectually, Jesus tells him to come out here. And he comes and stands. He rose. Jesus says to them, is it lawful? Look at the way he uh, words this. Our Lord is masterful. Again, questions. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? What's your answer? (laughs) Pharisees. It doesn't stop there. To save life or destroy? What's your answer, Pharisees? In all their so-called wisdom, they didn't have an answer. They were quiet. They couldn't say anything. And I'm sorry, I I don't know if this, I ought to be 
showing you levity or I'm not trying to, but it's almost funny in a way to see the power of our Lord and among them, he looks around. It's as if he stood up there and looked all around and say, anybody got anything to say? Anybody want to come up here? And nobody tried to change what was going on. They were quiet. They just sat there. And so he said to this man, and here again, look at the power of Christ. Stretch out your hand. It's almost like the call of Levi back in the fifth chapter. Come follow me. Stretch out your hand. He did it. What was involved there on the part of that man? Yes, faith. I'm not saying it was saving faith. Not talking about his soul, but he had faith in Jesus Christ and the power that he had manifest around in Galilee, around him. He saw what Jesus could do. And I think he believed. He believed enough to stretch out his hand. Is it lawful? Is it good? Is it good to save or destroy? Well, you don't have an answer. Stretch out your hand. I'm going to heal you. You know, godliness is more... Uh, than just staying away from personal sins. I say that because if you're like me, sometimes you can get caught up in this. Uh, <laughs> I'm not morose. Uh, I'm not always in the dumps, but I generally, especially after reading the scripture, think, now Dennis, you need to work on that. Here's another thing, you need to work on that. But that's not all that our religion is made up of, just to say, you know, today I didn't do that. Hallelujah. Why do I say that? <laughs> Why do I say that? Because what's, what's present here is the Son of God who calls himself the Son of Man. That's where we need to be looking. Why is it not just enough to say, I did away with, I didn't do that sin today? We need to change our focus like I need to after that happens is, Thank you, God, for the power of the Spirit in sanctifying me, that I didn't do that. The focus has got to be on the one doing the action. Jesus takes it to them, and they don't know what to do with it. They're still going to look for a way to get rid of him. He looks around and he says, what do you think? He says to this man, stretch out your hand, and he does it. Our sovereign Lord. Well, let me wrap this up since... Uh, <laughs> It's almost that time. What is the result? What is the result in the Pharisees? They were filled with fury. I don't know if you can say it much stronger than that. They were upset. They were pointing a finger like nobody had ever done at Jesus Christ. These religious leaders had an irrational folly about them and their actions. Well, what we have, and I'll, I'll stop here, uh, we have two kingdoms in opposition here. It's not just personal sins we need to look at here. We need to look at two kingdoms that are in opposition. There's the true religion and the false religion. And of course, they're pictured by our Savior versus the Pharisees. There's divine truth versus tradition of human beings. There's profound knowledge and madness. These that's what this means, that they were filled with fury. They are mad, and I don't mean just angry. They are mad, irrational, insane kind of reaction. We have goodness versus wickedness. We have the compassion of Jesus Christ versus the cruelty 
of these Pharisees. Honesty versus deception. Our Lord was honest and, and he showed their deception when they couldn't answer his questions. And we have divine power exercised here versus human in, 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 uh, impotence in the Pharisees. That's what's going on. The two kingdoms, this is why Jesus came. The two kingdoms are here. He is the one who divides because of who he is. And that's what takes place here. Well, why are we taking pains to look at this? Have you thought about that a minute? <laughs> why are we taking pains to look at what Jesus did here? Well, it's not just to say we covered every verse in Luke. <laughs> Dennis didn't skip any of them. We're looking at the son of God who called himself the son of man. And I take another hour to talk about that. Son of God, son of man. We're looking at his work here in his kingdom. He is doing kingdom work while he's here on earth and it's it needs to be seen. And, and then we need to ask, uh, who is this Jesus that has done these things? And I don't mean just to say, you know, you can answer, well, he's the savior. Who is he? Who is he? And then what will you do with him and the knowledge that you have here of his power? He, our Savior, would have done everything good for these Pharisees if they would have come to him, if they would have admitted who he was. Yes, you are. Uh, like uh, Thomas said, uh, uh, God, when he saw him, and finally, at the end of the book of John, you are God. If they had done something like that, what a different story it would be. My question is, what will you do with this picture of Jesus, even though it was given to you in a halting and perhaps sinful? tainted way by me. What do you do with this Jesus here? Well, let me close in prayer. I mean, yes, brother. I just want to point out one thing. We have plenty of Pharisees today. Uh, many churches, we run into these uh, in, in evangelism, and it's a real roadblock. They always say, well, what do all do I have to give up? There's churches today that would require you to take a vow to, to abstain from who knows what. Yeah. And uh, I tell them, I say, the only thing you have to give up is your sin. That's all. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, but we, we get people like it all the time. What, what, what all do I have to give up? Uh, I have to give up watching TV or uh, or reading books or whatever. I mean, yeah. you know, you name it. Yeah. I say, well, no, you just have to give up your sin. Or in other words, everything. Start over, right? Repent and believe. Well, one of the reasons we study every verse here is... Uh, I want you to see it's our duty to believe. You know, we just can't forget about who Jesus is and it's our duty to believe what was written about him in the word. Another reason to do all this is because all of the word of God is profitable yeah, for uh, reproof, rebuke, so on. And we ought not to overlook any of it. But let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the word of God and we pray that it, because it is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, you would accomplish that with it even this day. Lord, may we never gravitate to the way of the Pharisees, but follow hard after the Son of God, Son of Man. We thank you for his work in our lives, especially in saving us. Bless those who are going into worship. We pray, Father, that you would be lifted up and get all glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.